Lloyd. Michael, we are live. <laughs> I love it when you say that. We are live. It's better than being dead. Hi, I am Michael Waits. I am Martin Wonfold. Welcome back to e-commerce undercover. Again, today we are joined by Eugene Hum. I got that right. A co-founder and the CEO of Shopform. Eugene, besides the fact that your hair looks amazing, how else are you doing today? <laughs> hi, hi everybody. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for asking. It's, it's great to have you here. Can you give us a bit of your background for context? Right, right. So, um, so I graduated from NUS. Um, I started my first company. Um, it is in the edutech space. So that was in 2015. Uh, we grew the company across Singapore and Japan. Um, and thereafter, I joined a VC firm. So I was doing venture investing for a couple of years, mostly in the consumer sectors. I uh, was investing a lot in the global markets. Um, and then started short form in 2020. Um, we were looking at a couple of things and one of the things that we were looking at was in um, social commerce and the rise of um, direct-to-consumer brands and the Gen Z population. So that was exactly when I um, got the idea you know, um, of starting a new company um, and realized that there were so many gaps in the market, especially for this new generation of commerce. So um, here we are, um, been running short form for uh, the past couple of uh, months, one year plus, in fact, yeah. I, w I want to get back to Shopform in a second, Martin, if you don't mind, I want to find out a little bit more about this ed tech company. So what was it just general education? Was it a specific sector of ed tech? What, what was that? And why did you expand to Japan as well? So back then, uh, the first company, it was basically a voice conferencing software um, that enabled um, language students to actually practice um, learning the new language with each other. So okay. at that point, we were focusing on um, the English and the Japanese um, language markets. So naturally, we extended this market um, to Japan. So we're working with a couple of Japanese um, language societies, schools, and we tie up with uh, NUS and a couple of uh, language societies in Singapore. And uh, that's how we sort of grew the initial traction for our first company. So did you ever have a job before you founded that company or did you just go right from NUS into the military, I guess, right? And then come out and then start your own company? Straight in, straight in. <laughs> exactly like me. That's super cool. <laughs> I feel, should I just hang up the phone now and get off? Like I'm yeah. talking to two entrepreneurs. I, I think, Michael, <laughs> let us do the conversation, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. What, oh, and cool. what happened to that EdTech company? What was it called? Um, it was a company called Natify. Natify. Uh, yeah, and eventually we decided to shut it down um, because you know uh, the product market fit was not as strong as we hoped. Uh, yeah. It was very difficult to monetize. We managed to grow uh, a significant user base, but end of the day, it was hard to make money out of it. Uh, we decided to call it a day. Uh, the co-founders we went our own ways. Uh, for me, that's when I started to join the venture investing um, space. Got it. Martin, do you want to jump in or am I just going to keep going? <laughs> that's super cool. I love it because it you know, really like, cool. that's really related to also what I've been doing, which launched my, I launched my first company. I was 19 years old. I dropped out of school just to do, do, do that. And it's actually like you, like I was always focused on how we can monetize what we are doing, right? And how we can make, make, make money out of that. Uh, for me, unfortunately, we didn't shut down the company because of lack of revenue. We shut down the company because of problem of, of the suppliers. But I completely relate to your story that you get to shut down something and and then 
as you never had a job, but you have many ideas, right? So, so then like, you just keep, keep, <laughs> keep, keep going and, and launch a new company. And I'm super excited to talk with you about Shopform, what you did. And let's, let's, let's keep going. I think that's going to be a great conversation. Thank you once again to be on this episode with us, Eugene. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so what was the impetus for getting into social commerce? Right, because this is a space where you had not operated before. Was it something you noticed when you were at the venture capital firm? How did it start? Yeah, so we were looking a lot into the, the social space, right? Um, we were trying to understand what is going to define uh, commerce for the future. Um, and we were looking around and we found that a lot of um, e-commerce, right? Um, there has been a lack of innovation for uh, the past 10 years. I'm in um, love. I'm in love already, Martin. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, and and um, we are sort of looking into new behaviors, and we found that um, the new generation they were blurring the lines between social media and e-commerce, and that sort of led to the rise of social commerce, even though it's still in the early days. And we start to see a lot of um, big tech players like Instagram who are trying to shift into um, commerce, and you also see a lot of the e-commerce players who are trying to shift into um, media, right? People like Amazon, people like um, Shopee, Lazada, who are trying to move into the social space. But um, these two buckets of people, um, they are on very separate ends. They find it very difficult to come to the, the middle ground where, where we sort of blend social media and commerce together. And so I was on the lookout for a couple of social commerce companies to invest in. right? And I think that it's a very early space. There's a lot of opportunity. Uh, people are solving it from different angles because nobody really knows which model is going to work. Mm -hmm. So end of the day, I had my own thesis, decided to leave and um, start short form. That's true. That's a very good story to start. And I just have one question. I know, Michael, you also have a, have a question, but just before yours, uh, can you, Eugene, define social commerce from your point of view? Like, can you explain mm. to us, like, what is social commerce for you? Right. So social commerce is a, is a method where you actually make use of the social networks to help users to make a purchase, right? Okay. Um, it's it's um, there to me. There are four pillars of social commerce. Uh, one, you have the group buying model. So um, you rely on different people buying together, pulling resources, putting orders, and so that everybody gets a bulk um, price. And um, this it's more like you know the Pintoto model, the we buy model that we see in Southeast Asia, right? So that's the first pillar of social commerce. Um, the second pillar of social commerce is the, the reseller model, right? Um, the reseller model, you most of them target your tier three, tier four cities, even though some of them do target your tier one, tier two cities. So uh, basically, it's the usage of agents, right? Social agents to actually sell towards their communities using existing um, solutions like WhatsApp, you know. Um, so they are sort of like the distributor using agents as the distributing points towards um, your tier, tier 3, tier 4 cities where they don't get access to e-commerce that often, right? So um, that, that is like your Misho, your Red S, um, your Chili Belly model that we see today. Um, and then the third model, it's um, the enablers, right? These are mostly B2B softwares, right? Social commerce enablers who help um, brands to sell on existing social media platforms. So you could have um, platforms that you know help you to um, track orders during Instagram Live, Facebook Live, or certain enablers like that, right? And the last model, the fourth one, is exactly where short form plays in. So this is what I call the content model, 
right? How can you use um, social networks, use people, use content to help people make better purchase decisions? So this is very much like your Xiaohongshu model. And even live streaming would fall under this content model, I'll say. So you have like your uh, Taobao Live. And some of these um, people like Instagram, they are trying to move into commerce. So they will be particularly in this space. So, and, and this model sort of works very well for your tier one, tier two cities. So that is exactly where short form is uh, playing in. So you are what not... was your... Yeah, sorry, Michael, please do it. <laughs> no, go ahead, Martin. No, my question was, so you are not trained to rebuild the social network, right? You are trained to connect with what already existed of on social, social, social network and then what gather it on your platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. What was your thesis? In other words, the group buying model is kind of old, right? I mean, it goes all the way back to Groupon and Living Social and stuff like that, right? The reseller model I get, enablers, I'm not 100% sure what that means, but the content model I completely understand. What was your thesis why those things wouldn't work and this would work better? Mm. So, uh, so your question is, you know, why other models are not going to work as well as the content model? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I think uh, let's say for the for the group buying model, right? Um, the reason why Pintoto has been so successful in China, mm -hmm. uh, a, a big uh, factor is that you know, um, first of all, they write on the, the WeChat, WeChat um, infrastructure, right? That we all know, right? Uh, the second thing is um, because of supply chain, it's so efficient. Right. Uh, but over here in, in Southeast Asia, you don't get that efficiency in the supply chain. So which is why it's very hard to emulate that, that Pintoto model over here. So um, that Pintoto model, you know, uh, it has proved to be hugely successful in China, but we are not seeing that model uh, being at that level of success um, in many places. Right. And a, a huge factor right, is actually in the efficiency of the supply chain. Um, for the reseller model, I think like a big part of it is, you know, that the tech itself, right? You're not building any new tech is perfectly fine, right? Uh, but of course, what, what are you going to do about with like data analytics? You don't get, you don't get insight into data because you're not building the tech itself. You're right. just writing on existing software. You're solving a pain point, but of course, how big is it going to be? That's a question, right? Um, and the third one, the content model, this is exactly where I think it is because you're building that tech itself um, to be a global player. Right, you're gonna be in control of exactly uh, how you make decisions and what you're gonna do. So, is Shopform building its own content as well, or are you just building the technology to enable people like I am, or like Martin is, or like you are, to be able to sell DTC directly to their customers? Or is it a hybrid model where you do kind of both? It's a hybrid model. So we build our own tech uh, in itself. Um, we enable users to actually upload content. Uh, and we also pull content from other social platforms as well. So you're going to get content from other platforms, but you're also going to get content that's exclusively only on short form. And is that content meant to be the selling point or is the content meant to be sort of the attention getter? And when you're done watching the content, it says, hey, if you're interested in this, buy my T-shirt. You know what I mean? Or is the T-shirt the content that I'm then talking about? How does it really work? Mm. So. First and foremost, you know, short form, we are a social commerce platform uh, for users to review and shop direct to consumer brands. So the type of content that you're going to get on short form, right, is basically um, photos with uh, reviews that are much more helpful in helping users make a purchase decision. 
So it's content that uh, you know that tells you, you know what's good about this t-shirt. Like you know this black t-shirt, the material is better. Uh, you know the sizing, you should probably size down this and that. So basically, it's the community helping each other make better decisions. So people come for the content, right? And we are seeing good conversion from this content into commerce. Yeah, I think I must have missed the memo for this show today because you're wearing that nice black T-shirt. Martin's wearing a nice black T-shirt. <laughs> I'm wearing yeah. a polo shirt. I, this is very unfair today. <laughs> I found it on Shop Four, Michael. You know, there was a lot of great, great, great reviews from Eugene <laughs> saying that black T-shirt has the best, especially for podcasting. He was saying like that was very great for the show, and I was like, yeah, perfect. I need that, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so I see that we are both a fan of uh, of black T-shirt, and. So, so that's great because, like, for example, like right now, like we are both a fan of black t-shirts, so we can go and shop for them. Says that this t-shirt fits us well; it makes us look good on podcast, and then we can share this uh, content actually, right? These reviews on shop form and hope people can see that, find that, and and we can take a picture of what we are doing right now. So people can see, as you say, like honest reviews, something real that comes from the community. And so they tend to believe these reviews and these contents more, I guess, right? Yeah. And then I can yeah. like invite my friend on, on shop forum to see like uh, my reviews also, but also the reviews of my peers on the platform. And this is how you build the community and the social side of, uh, of social commerce, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Is the is the content itself curated, or once I become a member, can I just put up whatever I want? Do you know what I mean? Is there some kind of filtering mechanism to make sure that the site is meets your standards, kind of thing? Right. It's basically a free for all platform, uh, and in fact, uh, we are encouraging people to say not so good things about brands and products. Because when we talk to our users, we find that, you know, users, they want to find out what's not so good about the product, right? Because there is never a perfect brand. There's never a perfect product, right? right? People don't want to read the good stuff because they know about the brand. They know what's good about it, but they want to read the bad stuff so that they get the real picture. Got it. And is, is the shopping experience self-contained? In other words, if I go to shop form and I look around, and I see a bunch of products, if I want to buy it, if I click on buy, does it just happen? In other words, do you have your own back-end facilitation business as well? Or does it take me somewhere else, like to my website or somebody else's website, if something wants to get, somebody wants to purchase something? Mm, we have our own infrastructure. So it's a single cart where you can shop multiple direct-to-consumer brands, right? So the brands, they're all curated. We only bring in the direct-to-consumer brands. We don't work with your Uniqlo's. We don't work with your Nike's. We work with um, direct-to-consumer brands, and we are one of the very rare platforms that that has you know a curated list of direct-to-consumer brands to shop from, and it's all within the same app itself. And then I can pay it and buy the T-shirt directly on the platform, right? I don't need to go to this brand's website, right? Don't have to. Yeah, so that's that's also a good reason to drive traffic to to the platform, right? Because maybe that's the only way that the brands are selling their clothes or their products or maybe not the only way but maybe one of the biggest way has shop form as uh, as a good community right exactly is is there a little bit of a social aspect to this in the sense that <clears throat> excuse me you could probably get big brands to put stuff there but is it do you have this feeling that you want to support sort of the creation of new brands I get the direct-to-consumer thing, and I compl and I love this idea, right? Martin and I talk about this a lot. As a matter of fact, I think our last show was all about 
direct consumer. <laughs> maybe the previous show was. I can't remember. Yeah. But is it a conscious choice of yours to say we don't want the big brands to have access to this? Is it a Gen Z thing? Like, what was the genesis of that? Mm. Yeah, it was a conscious choice to not bring in the international brands. Mm. Uh, in fact, we we had interest from a couple of international brands, but we made that choice to not bring them in uh, because you know. A lot of this direct-to-consumer brands, um, the long tail, right? If you look out in the market, 80% of the brands in the market are below $1 million in revenue. These are the people who are very underserved, right? Uh, when they go onto marketplaces, right? They just don't get that visibility because your big brands, they have so much budget, they completely drown these D2C brands. They drown these SMEs out. Exactly. And, and that's why for us, um, we think that, you know, to, to sharpen our positioning and value, right? We are not going to bring in the big brands. We're just going to bring in your direct-to-consumer brands, right? So that we give them the necessary exposure that they need. And at the same time, right, the Gen Zs, um, they are prioritizing direct-to-consumer brands over your international brands. So this is exactly sort of the, the wave that we are riding on. Uh, we want to be the tech enabler to elevate the entire direct-to-consumer ecosystem. And have, is there research that's been done about Gen Z or whatever the current generation is that you're targeting, that they actually know that there are these gigantic brands out there, these international brands, whatever they are, but that they are also making a conscious choice to say, I'd rather support a smaller brand, a DTC brand, and just the brands that people are creating today because they're creating them directly for me. Like, is that also a conscious choice on both sides of this market, do you think? Yes, exactly. There's a ton of research out there. Right. Um, you know, the Gen Z is what they like most, right? Um, first of all, yes, they are price sensitive, right? But second of all, they, they like to shop from brands who have uh, values, right? And a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands, they have the values that are very aligned with the Gen Zs, things like sustainability, um, which is, you know, where we see among our users, right, has been a growing trend. They like to look at brands who... Um, are not as fast fashion uh, or brands who are using alternative materials or alternative packaging. Right. Right. So these are things that, you know, a lot of the international brands, they just don't offer. Is it something that you look for in the brands? Like, is it one criteria for you to decide if you accept a brand or not to be like sustainable or environmental friendly or it's a plus only? I think it's a... Uh, we, we bring in a wide range of direct-to-consumer brands. So not all of them are on a sustainable basis, but we start to see um, there are more and more direct-to-consumer brands who are adopting that sustainability um, angle. Uh, but at the end of the day, we bring all direct-to-consumer brands in. So it's not like an overriding factor that we don't bring in a brand that's not sustainable. And how many brands do you have right now on the platform? We have uh, 50 brands today across uh, Singapore, Malaysia, and Indonesia. No Japan yet, but you'll get there for sure. <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, so if you've listened to the stuff that Martin and I have done, you'll know for sure that I also share this thought with you that the marketplaces are just so noisy mm -hmm. and the smaller the brand is, the less likely it is to be discovered. So discovery is very difficult, even if it's an amazing product, not even just clothing, but just some brand new product that's amazing that everybody would want. It's almost impossible to find you know, again, if it's on Shopee or Lazada or Amazon, right? Mm. Do you see brands leaving the marketplaces to come to Shopform? 
you know what I mean? Have you seen somebody actually shut down a store on Lazada and just go, I'd rather be on shop form because the chances that I'll get discovered there are better. Yes. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Um, in fact, some of our brands, right, uh, they were on Shopee initially because it was sort of like the main distribution outlet. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we pitch short form to them, uh, we don't pitch exclusivity, right? We allow the brands to sell anywhere, right? Uh, but the funny thing is, you know, many brands, they actually pull off from Shopee to join short form, even though we have higher commission fees. That's so that's a very interesting. Yeah, because like I said, right, like, like you guys also mentioned, um, the big brands, they really crowd out the smaller guys. Mm -hmm. So um, to be on Shopee or Lazada, it's not just the commission fee that goes into your customer acquisition costs. Um, it's the blended cost, right? The amount that you pay for marketing, the amount of discounts that you actually have to come up with, right? All this, it, it, it blends into your customer acquisition costs, which can be very, very expensive. Yeah. And, and, and a, a huge chunk of all these um, transactions on Shopee, Lazada, um, all these marketplaces, right? Because they started as sort of like a discount platform, right? Right. And, yeah. and this is totally not in line with what um, the values of the direct-to-consumer brands are looking for. So it hurts their branding. It's not good to be in there because once you are on Shopee or Lazada, you're kind of seen as a discount brand. Right, particularly if you're a DTC brand, right? In other words, you could be making luxury clothing, but people are going to expect a 40% discount because you're on Shopee because you're not selling a million pieces a year. You're selling maybe 10,000 pieces a year, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, it might give them some sales in the short term, but it's going to hurt their competitiveness in the long term. Right. Yeah, so, so people just wait because yeah. when it goes off sale, people just buy the, the next thing that's on sale. And it's mm -hmm. interesting for me because if you look at other markets, right? So the champagne market is completely opposite. And I'm not just saying this because Martin's on the phone. But a champagne brand that literally creates 100 cases a year, 200 cases a year, has orders 10 years out. Mm -hmm. Nobody expects a discount for it. And it's mm -hmm. different because your big brands, the one you know really well, like Vuv Clicquot, you can get 20% off. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're playing a volume game, right? It's very different. And I'd love to see the sort of DTC fashion market look more like the champagne market, if that's fair. Completely, 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 and you and like we we did talk a lot about the champagne uh, champagne market. I think like two episodes ago, <laughs> and uh, and we yeah we we talk, we talked about that. And I think I think that the fact that on the champagne market, you know, there is a limit on the number of bottles you can produce every year, and every little uh, producer has this limit. It makes uh, right. offer like, like you know like so low, and the demand so high because of rebranding for the overall champagne uh, wine, which makes, uh, of course, like the demand worldwide high and the offer super low and they control this offer to be super low. So it just brings the, brings the price up. And, and especially for all the small suppliers, you, you are right, Michael, that's a, that's a very good point, I think, because if you are in the champagne area, if you are making champagne, if you're a small brand it's completely okay <laughs> like if you if you don't sell a lot if it's completely you're fine. okay you are completely fine you're as you said you're gonna have orders for the next 10 years because the overall system that limits the production 
is, is going to protect yourself, basically. So you know that people are going to come and come and come as long as you make good wine, right? So this is the only thing you have to do. Keep doing something good. But as long as you do that, you are fine. The price won't go down. There is no discount and customers are going to come and come and come. And that's right. Like, besides champagne, I never see something something else working this way. And that can be very interesting to, to see that in fashion or in something in something else than that. Yeah, there's only one other, well, I mean, not only one, but there's another place that I've seen it work, and that's in the car market, right? So Porsche was never the biggest seller of cars in the world, but at one point they were the most profitable car company in the world because, again, there's limited supply and increased demand and great marketing. Mm -hmm. Great sure. marketing. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, no, that's, uh, that's, that's really, really cool. And, and now I, I have a question because, like, What's the goal of Shopform? Is it to have many, many brands? Are you trying to get a lot of offers, or do you do you want to achieve a supply low, or like what's your what's your goal in the mid long term? Let's say. Mm. Yeah, our, our goal is always to elevate the entire direct to consumer ecosystem, okay. right? Uh, we never expected to close um, to have fifty brands on the platform in such a short time. A large bulk of them were actually inbound leads because they heard about it from other direct to consumer brands. Right, uh, but end, end of the day, what we want to do, we want to create that community of people who are uh, always happy to share about this um, direct to consumer brands, um, helping each other make better decisions. Right, um, so that social part to really drive the commerce within the same platform, that is sort of what we are trying to work on. Um, so it's a, it's a sort of a hybrid between a, a social and a marketplace, right? And of course, with all marketplaces, you you tend to balance out. The supply and the demand. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, I mean, uh, it could be you know supply in one month, demand the next month, supply in the following month, here and there. But end of the day, we want to have all the direct to consumer brands on a single platform, and that is short form, and have the new generation, your Gen Zs, uh, to be talking about these brands in a single platform, and that is short form. I see. So Michael, do, do you want to ask your f favorite? question regarding that <laughs> no not yet um <laughs> not yet okay <laughs> do you also give your your direct to consumer brands the ability to so are they building their own store on your platform and do you give them the back-end technology to do that how does that work or did you write that from scratch mm -hmm. so uh we we work with um technology providers right so we're integrated with stripe we're integrated with shopify um, and, you know, with just like a couple of clicks in a few minutes, um, their entire inventory is just brought over to short form. So the onboarding process is super seamless, super simple. And um, the inventory is sync. That's the most important thing because they only have to handle one single inventory. If there is a transaction on short form, it's naturally reflected in their Shopify dashboard. So they don't have to actually manage multiple inventories. Like let's say they're on Lazada, they're on Shopee, they have to manage like two, three inventories. You run right. the risk of overselling. Sure. Uh, yeah, and, and this is exactly what we do, right? Merchants who join us, they don't have to run the risk of overselling. Everything is simple, automated for them. This is great. 
that's 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 very cool and i'm pretty sure that we're gonna have another conversation eugene pretty soon into a complete other context <laughs> because, <laughs> because we've might you want do you want to bring it up or am i gonna bring it up <laughs> yeah just quickly just 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 to let you know if you don't know like my company is called dr tech and i'm 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 a direct competitor of shopify we're doing the same thing but of course much better and like uh like almost all of my customers right now they come from shopify so like this switch from Shopify to us. So I think it's just a matter of time until we have somebody in common who want to work with me and also with, with Shopform. So that's why I said like we, we might have very soon <laughs> another conversation on how we can integrate together. <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. We're always looking to work with uh, service providers, right? Like, like uh, Magento, WooCommerce, uh, even yourself. Uh, we want to work with every single service provider market. Um, so that you know, that allows us to capture the entire um, D two C market. Do, do you run the risk, right? Because the idea is to is to run that whole D two C market, right? Mm -hmm. And at some point, it could get really big. Mm -hmm. We know it's growing already, right? We've already spent a lot of time talking about it. Do you run the risk of just replicating these massive marketplaces, and then you go you go all the way back to that same discovery problem again if you get really big? It's a high-quality problem for you, but it's a really low-quality problem for potential DTC brands, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think eventually, as, as uh, companies start to scale, they kind of face like the same problems um, of, say, like, you know, uh, on the social side, you might have the problem of having too much content like Instagram. Like, how are you going to uh, filter it accordingly for them? Um, on the marketplace, obviously, it's the discoverability problem, right? But one good thing about us is that we don't um, run that discounting model. So the brands, they don't have to put in additional budget to actually discount or advertise on short form. And, and this is exactly where the discoverability problem stems from. Because they're existing marketplaces, Lazada, Shopee, right? Um, they don't earn much from transaction fees. They get the bulk of their revenue from advertising mm -hmm. and, and discounting from the brands. So the, the so if you're a big brand with a big budget, you can spend a lot of money to get your brand noticed in the marketplace. But for us, we don't run that model. We don't take in any advertising money from the brands. So which is why if you're a brand, with a lot of budget, you won't get preferential exposure um, over the other brands. So it's only organic exposure? Let's say yes. I'm selling headphones, they are awesome. I want to say that direct to customers, like I'm going on 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 shop form, and then how does it start? What's my kit start uh, act activity, let's say? <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of the brands, they actually, when they're onboarded, they, they get their users to uh, come over to Shopform, which is a very natural thing. So, you know, a, a lot of the brands that join us, uh, you know, the very next day, they put out an announcement on their Instagram to say, you know, we are on Shopform, um, go leave your reviews, help us. So basically, it's allowing the brands to um, activate their community to tell the brand story, right? So naturally, if you have a good brand story, uh, and then people are willing to champion for you, and that's where you're going to win. So it places a very big emphasis on building great products, great experiences for their users so that their users will continue championing for them. Right. So if you have a poor product, you don't have good experiences, naturally, you're going to sort of fall off. Uh, so the, the focus has been turned from having a, a big budget to actually being, you know, having good brands, good products. I see. And that completely makes sense. And that, that, that makes me think about uh, what 
Project Hunt is doing for SaaS businesses. Have you heard about Project Hunt? Do you no. know what they're doing? <laughs> ba basically, they're doing almost exactly like you. You go there, you put your SaaS product, your SaaS offer, and then you invite your community because the most, uh, let's say, light you get on a short period of time, the more hot you become and the more high you you rank on the Project Hunt um, leaderboard, let's say. And as they have tons of people who go on this website to discover new SaaS Product, new tech, new tech technology, new softwares. Then the the more hot you can get with your existing customer, then the more um, the more visibility you will get on this platform, right? So like the the process of of onboarding on this platform is exactly the same. Like you 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 create your account, you prepare your lunch, and after that, like you invite all your customer, all your community to try to get like the most light in the shortest period of time. So then you can like uh, crush over over brands be higher on, on the lead leaderboard and then get uh, the, the traffic from Product Hunt itself, right? And they have millions of people going there like every week maybe or every month, I don't know the traffic, but it's very, very huge for SaaS business like what I'm doing. And that's, that really made me think about, uh, yeah, uh, very similar to what you're doing on the onboarding process. And Product right, right. Hunt is, is highly su su successful. It works super, 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 super well. Like I've seen friends of mine launching SaaS product with them and like almost overnight really getting like a lot of customers just because they were high on the leaderboard. So mm. super, super I should definitely check them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it feels to me like there are two levels of marketing here. In other words, does Shopform go out and market the platform overall without sort of mentioning any of the other individual brands? And I guess it's up to the brands then to drive people to their stores on Shopform. Is that is that fair as well? Yeah. So uh, we have a couple of ways to drive uh, users to our platform, right? Naturally, we have a very strong organic growth engine where the users refer their friends and um, the users are always happy to refer their friends, right? We get a very strong referral rate. Um, and the other way is, you know, the more brands we bring in and then the, bring, the brands will bring along their existing followers. Got it. And do you sell just goods or do you sell services as well? For now, just goods, uh, but we're exploring exploring services. Um, is definitely in the pipeline. This is good. This is really good. And one question: What does it take for you to go in a complete over market, like France, for example? Ooh. We haven't looked exactly into uh, the European market okay. yet, but uh, our plan is to capture Southeast Asia first. Okay. First and foremost, um, but of course. Expansion out of Southeast Asia is uh, definitely on the cards. Couple of years away, uh, yeah, we have to wait to see then. <laughs> what was it like going to the other markets outside of Singapore? Right, where did you say you were? Malaysia and Indonesia as well. Yeah, yeah. So what did that require? Because you've almost entirely built this thing during COVID as well. Yes. 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 We started um, exactly when the lockdown began in Singapore. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was tough, but. Uh, we were in the right space, we were in the right time. It was exactly what the brands needed. So initial traction was great. Um, but you know, in Malaysia, Indonesia is a very interesting case because we only just started going into those places um, early this year. Okay. Right. And one of the biggest challenges was localization. Um, not just the language, but because we do commerce as well, right? You have different payment methods. 
Um, and a lot of them, a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands, they are just shipping um, domestically. And what they want to do is to always ship internationally, regionally, right? And a lot of our user base, you know, is in Singapore. So a lot of these brands, they want to ship to Singapore, but they don't know how. So shipping is one, uh, payments is one. And on the user side, you know, the type of content that the users are looking for is also very different. You have different styles. Um, there's a demand for batik in Indonesia. You don't have demand for batik in Singapore. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's super interesting to let you get to the so many data, right? About what people look for in e-commerce, what they want to buy, what they're interested in, like what do they like, what they don't like. It's super cool, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a white space, right? It's, yeah. it's completely wide open. Completely. So what do you, sorry, what do you do about the logistics? This is also something that's very interesting to me. If you want to ship overseas, right? Not just over the ocean, but, you know, to a different country, there are customs you know, problems, there's just shipping problems, there's all these other issues that you have to solve. Do you partner with 3PLs? And if you do, like, can you help, arra can you help arrange that for your brands? Yeah. Yeah, so early on in the days, one of the things that we realized, uh, we, we keep asking our D2C brands, right? What are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing today? Uh, right. Number one is uh, getting traffic, right? Getting conversion. Sure. Uh, number two is logistics. Well, logistics in Southeast Asia is still not as efficient as we like it to be. So right off the bat, we started short form to solve the first problem. Um, and the second one, uh, in terms of logistics, we um, partner with Ninja Van and JNT Express. So basically what they do, um, they offer subsidized shipping rates for our brands. Right. And we are in the process of partnering with international shipping partners to actually help people to ship overseas. Got it. I have an idea for you. We can talk about it offline. Right. <laughs> I have no vested interest in it, but the the logistics market kind of bifurcates, right? In other words, there are small providers that are specifically set up to handle these types of, of brands, right? So they don't want to ship Nike stuff around. They don't want to ship Adidas stuff around. But if you're making a run of, you know, 400 pairs of sneakers, they're happy to do that business for you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. because of, but they're set up specifically to do that, which means that they're not cheaper necessarily, but since their backend costs are lower and they've been set up specifically to handle small orders, they can still make money and not be more expensive than the other brands, right? Because that's the problem we run into with, um, sorry, with, um, <clears throat> with scale, right? right? If you want scale and you don't have um, the benefits of scale, then you're going to have to be more expensive. But they're there's some good um, logistics providers, particularly in Thailand, that do some great stuff in that space. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I think and there is a... Go ahead, Mark. No, that's fine. I, I, Go ahead, Mark. I, I, I just wanted to say, to say that it's, it's funny because like I have the same discussion with my setters also on the on date, and I see that we get the same... Uh, the same feedback from the people who are doing e-commerce like all, almost all of my sellers uh, on my platform right now are in france and almost uh, actually like all of yours are in uh in southeast asia but they have the same problem they have the same issues they have the same questions and you're right like shipping and payments are two of the biggest uh problems let's say when they want to expand uh to another country and it's not easy 
to solve, especially like, for example, if you're a, a French brand and you want to sell, let's say, let's just say in Germany, which is a very, very, very close country, like the, the payment method and the, the way customer shops into this country are completely different. So you need to adapt to that. But then if you want to ship to Singapore, it's another, it's, it's another story <laughs> because even the culture and the way people like interact with e-commerce and also like the player into this field is completely different. So, um, so yeah, I think there is definitely something to be done here also on, 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 on the back end operation of, of e-commerce to enable this brand to access what we know about e-commerce thanks to what we hear from our customer basically. Yeah, and I think today is actually a perfect example of how different locations handle logistics in a different way. And let me give you my own personal experience. Tell us. <laughs> we talked before we started recording, we talked about the fact that I had just received my green screen. Mm -hmm. Not only is this the third or the fourth time they've tried to deliver it to me, um, and it's not their fault, it's just a combination of both of us, but I also did not pay for it before it arrived. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do credit card and I did not do direct deposit, I did COD. I can't imagine in the, you know, in, in New York or in anywhere else outside of Southeast Asia, ordering a product that costs 150 bucks. It's not cheap, but not expensive. And just waiting for some dude that I don't know to show <laughs> up to the truck and give me something. And then I just give him cash. Yeah. But it works. And this is what you're talking about with localization, right? It's more than just changing the language and changing the font. Mm -hmm. You have to understand how the culture works. I don't think you could do. COD in the West. Exactly. Yeah. No, actually, like, that makes sense. Even when you order food, the delivery guy eats that on the way. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of problems with, with, with you. Does he eat the whole thing, Martin, or does he just take a bite? No, 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 of course not. <laughs> he, 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 he doesn't take just, 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 just a few fries. No, no, no. He stops, he eats that, and then he says that it's lost. <laughs> but this happened many times. Like, guys, you are, you are, you are, you are laughing, but it's a real problem. Like, that I you, can't imagine. You bro, it's as to face, and you, as a customer, that's so annoying because you're, you're waiting for, for your food 15 minutes. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then you realize that no, nobody's coming because the guy just eats the food on the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we just not come you to guys, the city for that. You, so. you know, I never, I never thought about this before, but I don't even think it's possible for me to comment on logistics and e-commerce and payments in the United States because when I left, when I stopped living there, there was none of it. Like it didn't even. It wasn't even a pipe dream, mm -hmm. right? And I, and I moved to Japan. In Japan, the logistics is so good. The three Takuban companies, like they are just logistics monsters, right? I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but most stuff there gets paid for by credit card. But the just the logistics, it's so efficient. And then you come here, and it's just like pay by cash for a guy in a truck. It's just amazing for me to see. But I don't know what it's like in the United States. We should probably get somebody on the show who can tell us what that is like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should definitely. But I think uh, already here in Southeast Asia, it's super, super interesting uh, to see like this difference, right? Just like I've I've been here in Southeast Asia only since like almost two years right now. So wow. I saw how it happened in Europe. I I. I I see it every day actually with my customers, but I also see like the difference with here in Southeast Asia. And you're right, like cash on delivery, for example, here it's it's something you just cannot do in the West. <laughs> you just yeah. not going to work. And uh, no. and yeah, the, 
that's why I, I wanted to ask you this question for you, Eugene, because like, what does it take for you to go to another market that's something completely different, like France, for example? Um, like, is there a way for you? Like, just I'm, I'm just wondering on the business side, like, not, not really on your offer, on your current customers, like, like, but is there a way for you like, to cheat, cheat, cheat start there and get like directly the traction that you got? in Singapore, but into a market that you don't know at all, but you could get like directly 10, 15 or 20 brands. Because the good news with your model and what I really like is that you have you are winning on both sides. Like you get the brand who come, but the brand also drive your traffic. So it's not only like the marketplace model where you no. get to get the brand plus the customer. What you bring is also this label let's say to be on shop form and guys we want you the community that we have to come on shop form and help us uh show how great we are on this great platform right so you are you are winning also by just getting 10 brands and then they, they get you the customers so you don't have really this chicken and eggs problem like, yeah. like most of the marketplaces have so as well i I don't think that's that hard actually for you to to for example launch into uh, into an, another market that you don't know at all Possibly, possibly, yes. Uh, uh, and that was exactly the strategy that we used when we expanded to Malaysia and Indonesia. Okay. Uh, we don't actually acquire any users in Malaysia or Indonesia at all. Um, step one is always to bring in the brands, right? Uh, we bring in the brands, we understand what they need, uh, what are some like their specific um, payment and logistics uh, requirements, and then we tailor it for the brands. Because once the brands are happy, they're going to bring in their users. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and right. and then you can always start with the brand who want to sell in Singapore, like the Malaysian brands who want to sell in Singapore. You say, hey, we get a bunch of users in Singapore. We're gonna help you with payments and logistics, so we will help you help 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 you start. And then it 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 allow you to get like 10, 15, 20 Malaysian brands. And then step by step, you can have some Malaysian audience. Perfect. Yeah. And then you can go to, yeah. to Indonesia, Philippines, and all of that and tell them, hey, we got a huge audience in Malaysia and in Singapore if you want to sell there. Perfect. And then you just keep, keep growing this way and that can be very fast. Exactly. Exactly. The, the, the difficult thing is, you know, the, the different payment methods, the time it takes to build it into the technology itself. That, uh, you know, fundamentally we were built on um, Stripe. So we support credit cards first from the beginning. So you know, if, if you're talking about places like um, Europe where, where they do um, credit card payment, there's obviously, we don't have to build a lot of extra stuff for it. Like, let's say most recently we moved into Indonesia, right? Um, the big part of it is that, you know, less than, you know, 5% of the people there actually have credit card, less than them, less than 5% actually pay using credit cards, right? They all right. use your GoPay, your OVO, your mobile wallet. So, so it was, um, it took quite a while to actually integrate these payment methods. Uh, before we could actually support that. But uh, what's interesting is that, you know, we help to expand the, the market size for their brand, right? We allow them to ship um, across um, Southeast Asia rather than just Indonesia alone. So it was very interesting. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, there must be there must be brands in France that want to sell in Southeast Asia. Exactly, that's that's what I'm thinking right now. Like, I know, I, I know. if tomorrow I have a customer who tell me, hey, Martin, I want to sell in Singapore, where do I start? Like, I would say, Call Shop Eugene, just that's, that's an awesome way for them to start because look, like they can just sign up with you, then they can use their existing audience from France to review them on on the on the platform. Like we we have to teach a little bit of English to the audience first <laughs> because in France that's that's gonna be, um, yeah. But yeah, 
<laughs> we don't have a, a little bit of difficulty on the English side, but let's say we use the, audi the audience that knows how to speak English, then they go on shop form, they review the brand, and then it can help this brand to launch into Singapore, thanks to shop form, right? And then you get a bunch of new French users. They might not sh shop right now on shop form because you have only one brand, but if you do the same with 10 brands, then that's, 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 that's another story yeah. because even the French customer can discover the nine overs. They have, they've been, they've, they've been brought into shop form by one, but there is 10, so that we can discover the over company. And then boom, you have a French market, right? Exactly, exactly. It's the, the strategy for us is always um, to enter a new market, you bring in the brand first. And in fact, we have uh, interest from like uh, Hong Kong brands, we have interest from US brands, uh, we have interest from brands all over the world, right? Uh, it's just which markets are we ready to actually, uh, you know, bring them in. I sense a longer conversation after this recording is over <laughs> and not just about black t-shirts. And I have another question for you because I see a lot of um, over platform doing social commerce, but what they do is that they don't handle the payments. Like they just send the customers on the brand website and then right, right, right. buy there. So is there a reason why you handle payments you, yours, yours, you yourself? Right. It's, it's um, about the business model, right? If the money doesn't flow through you, then you don't take transaction fees. You need to think about a way to actually uh, make money for your business, right? So if the money doesn't flow through you, there's only a few business models that you can do. Uh, you can do affiliate. Um, you could also do advertising. But then the thing is, when you do advertising, right, uh, the big brands are going to come in, they're going to um, out-advertise. Just not yeah. aligned with the brands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that doesn't work. The, the whole value proposition breaks down, right? Even though it's so much simpler to not handle payments, right? It's so much simpler to do that. But then, you know, it's, you're not building a company for the future. Right. And if you run affiliate, we have some brands who actually go on these platforms who run affiliate, right? Mm -hmm. um, they told us that actually the cost of selling a product, the, the amount of affiliate fees that they pay, right, is actually more than the product itself. So they are basically on negative margins, right? It doesn't even make sense no. uh, because once you do that, you know, because people are fickle, they like to view products, right? So every time they click, you know, if you charge by cost per click, you know, the, the cost they do add up and they add up very, very significantly before they even make a purchase. Mm -hmm. And that's bad for the brand, right? So for us, it's very natural that we have to handle the payments. So once we handle the payments, our business model becomes that we take a commission fee, if if you win, we win. If you don't win, we don't win. So it's 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 aligning the values and making sure that we are growing the whole ecosystem, right? And that we don't have to use like advertising or affiliate to keep ourselves alive. Is there if you want to really innovate, and it sounds like you're already doing that, right? And I loved at the beginning when you said nobody's innovated in the e-commerce space in the past 10 years. I've actually been on record saying in the past 20 years, but fair enough, I'm probably, I'm probably 15 years or 20 years older than you anyway, so my viewpoint is longer. But I can see a ton of ways to, you know, one of the things that's happening is live commerce. Can you build live commerce into your platform so that the sellers there, so that the brands there can have a platform to sell? Like give each one of them a show, do you know what I mean? Like Tuesdays, t-shirt day, Wednesdays, baseball bat day, whatever it is kind of thing. And then people can actually do that in, in real time, like live. Yeah, in fact, we already have that built in. So that was actually sort of like our first idea, 
right? But we eventually we built it. We pivoted into uh, short form today, which is um, you know reviews and uh, commerce, right? But the infrastructure for live streaming, live commerce is there because we see that there is a very big demand for it. It's just that you know getting a live commerce platform off the ground from the beginning is going to be very difficult. Yeah, right. I mean, it's hard. Look, nobody expected TikTok to be a selling platform. Yeah. It was supposed to be a dumb dancing platform. But if you have this vision, but I don't believe that it was always that way. I think in the idea of the founders, right, the idea was let's get a bunch of people here. And once we get their attention, then we can do some stuff with them, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And also very well funded. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. And I think the thing with live commerce is um, how, how does it reflect on the D2C brand image, right? Um, but in, because in live commerce, um, you are giving users um, clarity about the product. You are, you are helping them to address questions. You are giving the feedback loop, right? Uh, but always uh, with the audience in Southeast Asia, to in order to get them to make a purchase, you always have to give them a kicker. You need to give them like a time discount or something like that to actually drive that conversion. And, and that is not being viewed very favorably by a lot of brands out there. So what we are seeing in the market is actually a lot of brands um, they are contacting us, you know, they're saying like, hey, Eugene, or hey, Shopform, um, can you create a show where um, you are the ones fronting it, but, you know, you help me to sell my products using your live commerce. Right. Right. And and a big part of live commerce is also planning the content and getting the host. Uh, it's a complex process that not every single brand has that expertise. So many of them tend to outsource um, to, to people like us. Yeah. Or if you need help with it, ask me. We could definitely do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're good at the content creation thing on the flip side. And I know you have other questions as well, Martin, but I'm just in this sort of flow, but on the flip side, is there a mechanism for, instead of just written reviews, you know, four and a half stars for this, and I don't know what, what the mechanism is to literally have like customers good and bad. Remember you said you want to have some bad reviews, right? So people say, these sneaks look great. They matched everything I had, but the laces were terrible kind of thing. So just be careful of that. I still wouldn't say don't buy it, but just know that when it comes, you may need to get new laces for yourself. Does it make any sense, again, if it's Gen Z and people love video and TikTok's a thing, to give people the, the ability to do video reviews? Do you do that already? Mm, that is something that we are building right now. Definitely is in the pipeline. That is something that we see to be uh, one of the biggest features driving the platform moving forward. Because the thing with photos is that the photos are very easily um, edited, right? Um, they're also static. There's no activity there. There's nothing happening, right? You could even exactly. do audio reviews, right? If people, if people, you know, want to shop when they're when they're like on the treadmill or something, right? But they don't want to watch six videos at once. You can just click on a thing and listen to reviews. I thought mm. this was great kind of thing. This was terrible. Don't buy that, you know, <laughs> that donut. Exactly, and exactly. This is driving me to two thoughts. The first one, can I embed the reviews on Shopform on, on my own website? Yeah, that is something that we're working on as well. Ideally, that's what we want to do, right? Okay. Um, giving sellers that, that those APIs where you can mm. share these reviews everywhere and anywhere. Right, create that visibility because on Instagram you don't get people reviewing. You only get people looking nice and perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you also can't transact there. Like it's so hard. Yeah. Like this is one of the things why I love this idea, right? Because you get to leapfrog, right? When Instagram was built, it was meant to share photos. That was it. It was not meant to be commerce there. And to be fair, even a behemoth like um, like Facebook was not built for commerce. That's why it's so hard to do it there. But if you rethink what social shopping should look like, and we talk about this a lot, right? In other words, 
I think about offline social shopping. I'm walking in the mall with my girlfriend or I'm walking in the mall with my guy friends to go, hey, let's go in there and take a look. And they can say, oh, don't go into that shop because I bought some stuff there before. Oh, I'm right? afraid or they of can just go, Yeah, or they can just say like, oh, the yeah. jeans are good, but don't buy the shirts there because they don't focus. All that kind of stuff. That's real. People really do that. And if you can facilitate that online, now you're building something that has real value, I think. Exactly. That's what we're trying to build in, in the online space, right? Because, I mean, in online space, it's very hard to replicate what you are going to experience offline. Right, so there's different ways. Um, I mean, this is our approach, uh, which we think sort of, you know, it's, it's taking off, which we think is the right way to do. Uh, but time will tell, right? Yeah, yeah, but, um, but my point is that like the existing social platforms, you said this at the beginning, there's no really like meeting in the middle of the minds where here's yeah. commerce and here's social because the commerce was built just for commerce. Click here, buy that. One click is, was like the biggest innovation ever for Amazon in like, yes. it's like 1847, right? And for social, that's sharing of photos. Like the biggest thing that gets shared there is photos and videos. But it's hard to shop there. It's hard yep. to share here. So you have to build a platform from scratch to, 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 to really build it properly, no? Exactly. 100%, 100%. Because the thing with social is that it's so broad, right? Um, you're talking about, you know, you have fashion, you have uh, dog videos, you have uh, cooking yeah. videos, you have, sport nice. videos, you have nice. everything, right? Yeah. Some of them, you know, it could lead to commerce, but the majority of it, it doesn't lead to commerce at all. Right. Right, right. And, and the business model for that is very different, right? If you have such a wide platform, it's very hard to build something that is going to drive to commerce. And and I think over time, you know, because um, they they didn't launch that commerce sort of thing, um, and then it starts to become more like a marketing channel. Mm -hmm. And then people just um, discover, like, you know, the power of influencer marketing, people throw money at influencers and then, it, it, the way people view social right now is very sort of marketing, yeah, right? Rather than rather than having that social element, all, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and one of the biggest things that one of our users tell us, right? We did like an entire focus group with our users. The number one thing is, you know, when they see a piece of influencer content on social media, right? The thing is, how can I trust that piece of content when I know that influencer is obviously being paid. paid to say it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's so funny you say that because you know I buy a lot of audio equipment and video equipment, and and once I realized that like <laughs> much money, once I realized that like the guy reviewing the Elgato camera was getting paid by Elgato to do it, I can't. I just don't believe you from the beginning. Yeah, tell me exactly. it's not sponsored. Tell me you paid your own money for it, and then I'll believe what you say. So exactly. So we, which means you might have a problem on your platform. What about influencers? Tomorrow, if somebody did very famous at reviewing every product or something like that. Yeah, so those, is, uh, those are problems when you actually get bigger and bigger, right? Uh, There's a problem that we are not facing right now <laughs> because it's still, I would say it's still early, mm -hmm. right? But naturally, as it gets bigger, you know, we're going to have like a content moderation team. We're going to look further into this to make sure that every single review is, is, is sort of like genuine. It's not being paid by um, the brands because the brands, they don't have direct access to the consumers. Mm -hmm. Right, we're not allowing that that direct access, so the the brands can't actually sponsor um, the users themselves. Right, so they have to go through us, uh, and we are looking into it. You know, to make sure that it's number one is authenticity and integrity. It has to be um, rock solid on the platform if you want to build something for social shopping. Yeah, that's super yeah. cool. Fair enough. Okay, boys, look, we've been at this for a long time. This was a killer <laughs> conversation. And, and yeah. 
the idea that nobody's been innovating in the e-commerce space is something that drives Martin oh, and I to have these conversations. That's why we do this. The tagline really here is e-commerce isn't solved yet. Mm-hmm. And you're going out and trying to solve it. And I think that's a great thing to do. I want to thank you, Eugene Tum. I remembered a co-founder and CEO of ShopForm coming to do this. Martin, where can people find you? They can find me uh, by email. That's the easiest way. Martin at lodr.tech. And what about you, Eugene? How they can find you? You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Eugene Tom. There's not a lot of them. Or you can also <laughs> find me on email, eugene at shopform.sg. Awesome. That's super okay. Good. And like just just be, before we we go, guys, I'm very impressed by the way this conversation went because like as you said, Michael, like we talked about this topic about um you know like product dis- 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 discovery of marketplaces and social commerce and how you and how you can tackle this this problem. And I see that Eugene, you are thinking exactly the same way as we do, and we did not <laughs> know that before the show, right? <laughs> like no, we, we didn't at all. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> I asked all these questions, and he was yeah. like, "We're already." <laughs> doing that great question but too late <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's actually like it looks like we are completely aligned on our values and the way we think but we we invited you Eugene because of shop farm and because we wanted to know what you're doing and and but we didn't know that was so much aligned with the idea of e-commerce is, is not solved yet and i'm completely like kind of impressed by that that you that you are really like awesome like yeah, saying the, the the same thing as us, doing the same direction, and that's great. And I think that you're doing something awesome. So let's 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 have another talk in like six months or maybe twelve months and talk about the growth of platform during this period of time. And it's fantastic. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, love the both of you. You know, fantastic. Glad that you know we see the same market the the way that it is. And I also believe that you know we have a ton of work to do in e-commerce. Yeah. There's a lot to do. The new generation, everything is new. You know, we need to innovate. We need to change the status quo. So, you know, yeah, happy to talk about this again and again and again. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you very much, guys. Have a, have a nice Thank day. Thank you. <laughs>